Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your new host, Gordon Smith, and this week I'm joined by co-host Jay Shabbat to discuss the failed JetBlue Spirit merger and ask what's next. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Good, Gordon. Welcome to uh, Airline Weekly and, and Skift. Uh, we're happy to have you. I feel like I've won a competition as a sort of schoolboy at a at a country fair or a raffle. Join your favorite podcast for a week. Meet the stars. Yes. Uh, here we are. Here we are. And and for those of you who uh, read uh, are reading Airline Weekly, you've probably seen the news that uh, our uh, our colleague Ned Russell is uh, has moved on. He's uh, spending some more time with his young family, and we're going to miss him a lot. And I uh, told him that uh, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, bugging him to come back on the podcast as a guest, and I'll be uh, needling him for information all the time. So uh, he promised not to be a stranger, but uh, Ned will miss you a lot. Uh, and um, we, uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll certainly be in touch. Absolutely. I'm extend my sincere thanks to, to Ed Russell, Ned, as many know him, um, big, big fan of what he's done with the podcast. Uh, over recent years. And like you said, he's promised that he's uh, not going to be a stranger. We'll get him back on the show in the near future as a guest. Uh, so thank you, Ned. And uh, yeah, all the best for your next endeavors. Uh, we are recording Wednesday afternoon. Um, and if you can hear any planes, I am underneath the flight path of uh, Lisbon's Humberto Delgado Airport, uh, where I'm talking from. Where are you joining us from, Jay, this afternoon? I am outside of the Philadelphia area in New Jersey. Superb. Uh, so both sides of the Atlantic, rather apt, given JetBlue's uh, more recent strategy. Um, so really, we're looking at the merger that would have created the fifth largest U.S. airline had it been approved. Uh, the news broke earlier in the week that, uh, frankly, it's not been approved. Uh, Jay, what was your uh, what was your first thoughts upon hearing the hearing the judgment? Right. Not a huge surprise. And I should say here that uh, real quickly that we are speaking on Wednesday. Uh, my time here in East Coast U.S. is about noon, a um, couple hours ahead over on, on your side, Gordon. But uh, yeah, so so the judge, um, a judge in Mass, a federal judge in Massachusetts ruled that uh, the JetBlue uh, spirit merger was, in fact, uh, in violation of federal competition laws. And so, uh, you know, chalk that up as a victory to uh, the Biden administration, the federal government, which sued uh, back last year to stop this merger. Was it a surprise? Um, you know, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I say yes, because in, in the sense that if you look back over the course of the past, you know, 10, 15 years, most airline mergers have been approved, um, even some giant ones like you know, 2013, I guess it was American U.S. Airways, which is a much bigger merger than the one we're talking about here with JetBlue and Spirit. Well, that was approved. The, the Justice Department actually did sue originally on that one to stop it, but they got some concessions. Eventually, it went through. Uh, but this one, you know, went all the way down to a judge's ruling, and uh, it's uh, and it was blocked. So in that sense, I guess it was a little bit of a, a surprise. Uh, on the other hand. Uh, we know that the Biden administration previously uh, intervened to stop the JetBlue alliance with Northwest, uh, sorry, with uh, American in the Northeast, and that was broken up by, by a federal judge. Um, we know that the Biden, Biden administration more generally has been uh, very actively sort of anti-consolidation. It's that may be too strong a word, but I know he's 
issued, um, the administration issued executive orders um, pertaining to competition law and trying to be more aggressive in enforcing consumer protection. So I guess, you know, a little bit of yes, a little bit of no, but in any case, you know, here we are and JetBlue is forced to abandon uh, its grand plan. And uh, yeah, sec second second uh, big defeat here after the American Northeast Alliance. Yeah, really, really interesting. I've got the, the Biden tweet here. I'm old fashioned. I'm still calling it a tweet. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure what, what Elon as, is asking us to, to call it an, an, an X post. I've got the Biden tweet here. It says, capitalism without competition isn't capitalism. It's exploitation. Today's ruling is a victory for consumers everywhere who want lower prices and more choices. So uh, Biden's certainly uh, taking some of the credit there uh, for the the, the, the wider verdict. Right. Different judicial philosophies, different, uh, you know, competition philosophies on, on how to, you know, what, what the best policy is here. And, you know, people will be debating that on and off. It's, uh, you know, it is interesting. I mean, one, one I think something to keep in mind is that when the American U.S. Airways, which is the last like really big merger to be approved back in, again, when it was 2013, someone could check me on the exact date, but roughly 10 years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 years ago, uh, it is a, that was a different era. I mean, the industry was not as consolidated then as it is today, um, partially as a result of that American U.S. Airways merger. So there is, you know, I think a, uh, a reasonable argument to be made that perhaps allowing another big merger would be harmful to consumers. Uh, you know, there's people argue both sides of that, but, uh, but in any case, you know, that's, that's, that's where we are. Uh, now is JetBlue, <laughs> the funny thing is, I mean, JetBlue, some people will argue this is a blessing in disguise <laughs> because they argue that maybe JetBlue is taking on a little bit more than it could chew. I mean, they were, on the precipice of spending nearly $4 billion for an airline that's really spiraled into, uh, you know, I was, I was going to use the, the, the phrase death spiral. I, I think that's a little bit too melodramatic, but they spirit, which was once a very profitable airline has really since the pandemic become a very, very unprofitable airline. There's even some chatter out there that, uh, you know, they may have some, solvency issues and bankruptcy might not be too far. Now I'm not, you know, I, uh, I'm gonna, I just, I just throw that out there as, as, as something that's being discussed. I don't uh, necessarily predict that will happen. We will find out um, much more about the financial health of Spirit and JetBlue for that matter, when both airlines report their fourth, qu fourth quarter results, uh, which is coming up probably next week or in the, in the coming two weeks anyway, before the end of the month. Uh, so we'll learn, we'll learn a lot more, uh, but, but yeah, that's, um, it's both, both airlines have to consider what's next now. Yeah. And it goes without saying that, uh, Skift and Airline Weekly will have comprehensive coverage of all of the, uh, earnings season results. Um, Jay, you mentioned, you mentioned consolidation there. Let's ignore the concept of consolidation. And if it's required, if we can, let's just try and extract that. Let's look at the individual carriers involved here. A lot of people, uh, even people sort of coming up to me outside the industry saying, JetBlue and Spirit? This is an unlikely marriage if ever I heard one. Um, you know, the, the business models, low cost versus sort of semi-low cost, um, the, 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 the disparate cultures, you know, looking even at the, 
at the Lopez, the seating plans uh, on board, never mind the products and, and revenue streams. What was your take? Did you, did you see it as, a, as an unlikely partnership from the start or did you think it could, it could, it could be work? It, it could work. I was a bit of a contrarian on that. I definitely understand the argument that these two airlines had very different business models with very different cultures. I do acknowledge that the integration would have been very complex. However, I start with the premise that if you go back to really 2005 with America West US Airways being kind of the first, first big merger in a wave of about six or seven subsequent mergers, and frankly, all of them were successful. I mean, all of them worked out well in the end. I mean, you can argue, yeah, sure, Alaska, Virgin America was a little messy operationally, same United Continental, you know, Southwest took forever to integrate AirTran. I mean, there was all sorts of bumps along the way, but I don't think that in any of those six or seven big mergers, I don't think any of the acquiring uh, or any of the parties involved would have gone back and done otherwise if given the chance. Um, and then collectively, it's created an industry that's just so much, uh, in a, I mean, in a sense, less competitive, less price competitive, so much more rational in that sense. And it's really stabilized the industry where most US airlines can make a decent buck <laughs> nowadays. Now, it's true that there are four airlines, four big US airlines in particular that are losing money right now. And one of them happens to be JetBlue. And the, uh, well, another one happens to be Spirit, a Hawaiian and Frontier, the others. Um, but you know, if you look at the Uniteds and Deltas and Southwest and Americans of the world, they're all at least making money now. Uh, and if you look at the entire really decade of the 2010s, particularly the second half of the 2010s, uh, US airlines made very healthy profits, uh, particularly relative to the rest of the world. So consolidation, has been really just great for the whole industry. And I would argue accretive to really everybody who's involved, individual airlines that were involved in deals. Now, fast forward, would this be the same for Spirit and JetBlue? You know, I think there's some powerful arguments to say that it would have um, addressed some of JetBlue's, uh, you know, serious uh, challenges and, um, you know, and, and I go through some of those in detail. I mean, for those of you who read Airline Weekly, uh, you know, for subscribers, you can uh, you'll get you'll get a sense. I kind of lay out this in detail in our feature story that's going to be coming out in our issue on Monday. But um, just br briefly put, uh, JetBlue by buying Spirit would gain a tremendous amount of pricing power by essentially eliminating a competitor, and they wouldn't say it that way, you know, they wouldn't use those words. <laughs> they'd have, even, <laughs> they'd sure. have even more trouble with the judge if, if they used it, if they expressed it like that. But essentially, I mean, this, these two airlines overlap in about 50 routes to Florida, to and from Florida and within Florida. So uh, you are really, I mean, JetBlue gains a lot of pricing power by getting rid of Spirit. And at the same time, they, you know, amplify the size of their loyalty program and they become you know, a bigger entity with, uh, you know, bigger negotiating clout with aircraft financiers and Airbus and with, uh, you know, with banks and with, uh, you know, all sorts of other stakeholders. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the reason why I generally was, was rather bullish. Now, again, I do acknowledge the execution risk. I do acknowledge that, you know, they kind of pay, or they, they would have been paying, paying a pretty penny. Um, $4 billion is no, you know, that's, that's no chump change. Uh, but 
yeah, I think the revenue synergies were real, Gordon. So uh, that, that's kind of my, that was always my take. Um, and I guess it's all, you know, it's all really irrelevant now. But, <laughs> but um, well, uh, yeah. Well, Aviation historians will be poring over it for, for decades yes. to come, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. no, you, exactly. you, your point, Jay, about the uh, competition in Florida, it's uh, absolutely fascinating. I mean, yourself and uh, our colleague at Skift, uh, Magnus, she's been putting together some of the, the data um, according to, to data from Sirium. And when it comes to Florida, one of the most competitive travel markets in the in the U.S., of course, JetBlue and Spirit directly compete on around 40, 4-0 routes. And in the first quarter, 47% of uh, the seats on JetBlue's direct flights touched Florida in some way or another. That just gives you an idea of the of the, of the exposure that the company has to the, to the Floridian market. Um, do you think Floridian consumers or even those that aren't based in the state, but like to enjoy their vacations there, will be, will be secretly celebrating this or, or is it more for complex? Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Florida travel. I've, I've booked three flights to Florida, three round trips to Florida in the past couple of weeks or I just say months. And uh, I am happy that, uh, <laughs> that these two are not merging just for that specific selfish, selfish region, reason alone. Um, but yeah, it's, there's, there's no question that, that Florida, uh, routes would would have seen you know fares go up. Now I have to you know you always whenever you're talking about fares, fares are always subject to change based on, for example, fuel prices and there's so many other factors. But in terms of competitive pressures, there's no doubt that there's going to be there would have been fewer if, if this merger was allowed. So yeah i think i think no doubt there and and as as you suggested i mean JetBlue, and we can you know talk about spirit as well in another another conversation but in terms of you know JetBlue and what's next for them they remain a very florida and caribbean heavy airline they also remain very transcon heavy when i say transcon i'm talking about you know east to west of the united states so you know california to new york boston to seattle that kind of stuff um and there are you know there are things about those routes that are good. There are things about those routes that are not so good. Um, they tend to be, you know, Transcon, for example, is very, very seasonal. So you're going to get your, you know, you're going you're gonna to get killed in the winter on Transcon and you got to do your best to just allocate your capacity to other places as much as you can. Um, now that's hard to do when you've got A321s flying, you know, first class mint product, uh, you know, where do you put that in January? It's, it's, and from what I understand, these transcom markets have even gotten tougher in the post COVID world because there's less corporate traffic. So, yeah, so that's tough. And then, you know, you think Florida would be a great counter season because, because Florida tends to be seasonal in the other way, it peaks in the winter. And, and uh, you know, then you get to months like September where it just got awful. Uh, so you think there would be, you know, there would be a nice balance there. And I think, I think it is, but it's just never really, I mean, JetBlue for, 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 for a variety of reasons has, has never really been able to produce competitive profit margins. They've always been at the bottom of the pack. And I think that's clearly, I mean, that fact alone is clearly why, you know, Robin Hayes, who's, who's now leaving um, as CEO, felt the urgency to go out and do something bold like buying Spirit. I mean, I, I think, you know, for all the risks, I think that's why he did it is, you know, the thought was we need to do something because it's been my entire nine year tenure. We've always come in, <laughs> you know, tra- trailing the pack here in terms of margins. Um, and now they're just, you know, going to have to find uh, either an organic way to, uh, you know, do something about those margins 
or you know they could theoretically look for a smaller airline like sun country or you know do try to come up with another airline to form an alliance with that might not uh you know um raise the ire of uh the antitrust enforcers as much um uh, but I, but I tend to think they're going to, you know, really buckle down and just go organic. Fascinating stuff. So much yeah. more still to discuss, Jay. We're going to take a very quick break. Uh, you're listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast uh, with me, Gordon Smith, and my co-host, uh, Jay Shabbat. When we return, we'll be uh, picking through some of the, the juicier quotes from the Massachusetts District Court Judge, William Young, who had some some colorful statements uh, without the usual legalese that uh, can crop up in these uh, in these statements. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Airline Weekly Lounge uh, podcast. I'm your new host, Gordon Smith. And this week, I'm joined by co-host Jay Shabbat. How are you, Jay? I'm doing well. Always uh, excited and uh, happy to talk about uh, an airline like JetBlue, which faces wow. a, a strategic pickle more, more so than uh, in most weeks after this judge's ruling. Yeah, so big a pickle, we're devoting the whole show to it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just one point before the break that I wanted to to ask: Do you see in a parallel universe Frontier and Spirit? getting together and being able to make that work? Or do you think that may have been uh, destined for the dustpin as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Gordon, because originally Frontier was the one that, uh, that that wanted to buy Spirit. And there was some great history in the uh, in the court ruling, if you read through it. It's 113 pages, so, you know, put aside a, an hour or two. But but a lot, lot of great history, a lot of great uh, information in there. One disclosure was that Spirit was, or sorry, JetBlue was actually uh, looking at um, Spirit as early as 2017. And if you'll recall, uh, JetBlue was very much interested in buying Virgin America back in 2015, 2016. Turned out that Alaska outbid them. They were the ones that wound up buying Virgin. So JetBlue then sort of started looking at Spirit. And then, you know, they were, I guess they were entertaining a few different ideas. And then the pandemic came along. And then it was still kind of circulating in their mind when Frontier in early 2022 to, I have my dates right, yeah, 2022, uh, decided, hey, we're going to buy Spirit. And that's what triggered JetBlue to say, okay, we got to do a counteroffer. We got to act now. So the question, as you alluded to, is, uh, you know, now that JetBlue is out of the picture, will Frontier step back in? Well, a couple of things. I mean, I do think, I mean, what 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 everything I said earlier in this conversation, I, feel, I still think holds that consolidation generally works wonders. <laughs> I think that's been the lesson of the past you know since since 2005 so frontier you know might have that in the back of their head uh at the same time remember that spirit is a different airline today than it was when frontier first made its bid in early 2022 it's a much more vulnerable airline it's losing more money it's facing just as frontier is and JetBlue for that matter these tremendous engine difficulties with these geared turbofan uh, problems, which, you know, I think somewhere actually mentioned somewhere in the court ruling, how many man hours it takes to, uh, to actually address that, that those problems with the engines. And it's, it's, it's a huge, huge problem. So I don't know, does Frontier kind of want to step into that right now? And the answer, Gordon, might be no. Mm, mm. 
And we should say, uh, you've read the ruling all 100 plus pages of, of it in full. Uh, so anything that you, you, you do say has got some authority. Um, so thanks again for taking one for the team and, uh, and working your way through that, uh, that document yesterday, Jay. I was going um, to bring it to the beach. The problem is it's 18 degrees here in Philadelphia today. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I work in Celsius. So 18 oh, degrees, yeah, yeah, yeah. 18 degrees for a Scotsman is probably beach weather right 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 yeah, um, but, uh, so we'll, yeah we'll, just, I, we'll just use the adjective like it was it's frigid outside <laughs> <laughs> there's a few other words beginning with f which i'm sure you could put in front of that as well right, but uh, right. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it family friendly um so let's go back to the, the the massachusetts district court judge william young um who ultimately took the the justice department's side uh, he had some really impassioned uh comments to make. I'm just going to pull one. And if you uh, if you want to read some more, uh, check out skift.com. Uh, Megna, our, our airlines reporter, has pulled together some of the best uh, seven uh, quotes uh, with a little bit of context. Uh, really, really worth your time. Even if you've you've read the core news, this adds a, a, a fresh angle. But here, here's one quote for you. And I'll, I'll read it in full. It's not too long, but really interested to hear what your take is on this, Jay. Um, Young said, quote, Spirit is a small airline, but there are those who love it. To those dedicated customers of Spirit, this one's for you. Why? Because the, because the Clayton Act, a 109-year-old statute, requires this result, a statute that continues to deliver for the American people. What's right. your, uh, what, 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 what do you make of that? Yes, well, Spirit, I don't think is famous for being customer friendly. <laughs> I don't, I, I uh, you know, I, I think Spirit is famous for being cheap. And uh, yeah, well, you're, you're speaking to me in the land of Ryanair. Uh, yeah, and exactly, so, uh, exactly. And it's we're familiar. Of, uh, yep, yep. And, and you might even call them the Ryanair of the U.S. Uh, now, they, I think the government um, lawyers made, I think, I think one of the arguments as, as they were making their argument against the merger. And what they were saying is that um, they, in fact, I have it in front of me here. They said that um, throughout the trial, the government invoked the experience of the average spirit consumer, a college student in Boston, hoping to visit her parents in San Juan, Puerto Rico, a large Boston family planning a vacation to Miami that can only afford the trip at spirits prices. And so I think the judge was swayed by that. And I think that quote that, that you read that Megan included in her article, I think that's kind of what they're referring to. There are people that really do uh, value, um, you know, value the service. You know, they're not looking for anything more than cheap fare. And sure, I'll pay a little extra for the bag uh, or, you know, whatever. I want a little bit more comfort. I'll buy a big front seat. Um, so sure. I, I think that's where that quote comes from, Gordon. Really interesting. And mm -hmm. uh, there were comments attributed to to Robin Hayes and, and Joanna Geraghty, um, obviously the uh, JetBlue CEO, outgoing CEO, and uh, soon-to-be CEO. Uh, and it was addressed to, to crew members. It was shared widely on, on social media yesterday, signed by both Robin and Joanna. Um, and just to get an extract from it here, it says, naturally, many of you, i.e. crew members, uh, will be asking what happens next. We are reviewing our next legal steps and will consider with spirit whether we want to appeal the court's decision. The judge's written opinion was well over 100 pages, and we need time to analyze and understand his application of the law. Additionally, if we do appeal, that process will take some time. We'll share more with you 
on that once we have a view on whether we want to press forward or will press forward, I should say, in court along with spirits. But he does add, uh, I should say they add, uh, that's Robin and Joanna. One way or another, be assured, JetBlue has a bright future. Is that something you agree with, Jay? Well, let me address first the uh, the, the possibility of appeal because I because I read that as well, and my you know my gut is that they're just going to move on. Uh, you know, there may who knows I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but they may find something in this that's uh, you know legally unsound, and they'll try to challenge it. I don't believe that correct. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but uh, just shoot me an email. But uh, I don't believe they appealed the decision on the Northeast Alliance with America. An American might have appealed, but I don't think JetBlue did. I think, you know, even over time, even before this ruling, I think JetBlue was starting to maybe feel a little queasy about this, you know, because of what we talked about, spirits, finances getting, you know, spiraling down into such unhealthy territory and, and whatnot. So I, I think we're done. That's that's my hunch here. And what was your other question? Oh, does JetBlue have a bright future? Well, it's, you know, there, it, it still has a lot of challenges. Um, and we, we mentioned a few already, Gordon, but uh, yeah, I mean, one of them being that they just operate in extremely difficult airspace and, and airports, uh, you know, in the Northeast with, with tons of congestion and, you know, this huge air, tra air traffic controller shortage that we face in the United States is most acute in places like New York and Boston and Florida. Uh, and they're, they're on the front lines of that. Now, um, as someone from the UK, Gordon, you'll appreciate this, but, you know, British Airways has no problem earning very strong profit margins at London Heathrow, and that's a complete operational mess. So we can't, you know, we can't use that as an excuse just because they're operating at JFK, but it is, you know, it is a hardship for sure. Uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of, uh, well, insiders and otherwise passengers even would argue that they, they make money despite, uh, not because of. Uh, the, the the operational snarl-ups uh, at Heathrow and elsewhere. Right, right, right. I mean, they just, I, I think what tends to happen is when you're operating in, a, in an airport that's very congested, well, it's very congested in part because there's a ton of demand there, if there's a ton of demand there, then, uh, and a shortage of supply of, of slots or whatnot, if those two things are true, then you're probably going to get high fares at that airport as well, which in fact is, is the case at London Heathrow, maybe to a lesser extent at, at New York JFK. Um, especially when you're going down to a very price competitive market like Florida. But in any case, you know, they do have a, they have a, an excellent, excellent market position in Boston, where I think in the past they have made rather good margins. I think the problem in Boston now is that a lot of sort of short haul business traffic has disappeared post pandemic, you know, people working at home and whatnot. Maybe that stuff will come back as JetBlue. I mean, that's one thing I'll certainly be listening closely for as JetBlue, you know, discusses their uh, their Q4 results with, with Wall Street, you know, will they talk about that? Is, is some of the corporate stuff coming back in Boston? You know, New York has traditionally been more leisure for them, Boston more corporate. Um, so, you know, that, that'll that help shape their future as well. Um, but yeah, you know, JetBlue also has, they've always had issues with cost. I mean, one thing about, they do have a, you know, a, a rather good reputation with, uh, with customers. I know my uncle who lives in Florida, he's, and he, you know, he comes back to New York all the time. It is a family. He's like, oh, I love JetBlue. I always fly them. You know, I think I think there are people who really, really like them. I mean, I've, I've flown them for a great airline uh, in terms of service. But, you know, when you do have more legroom and you do have, you know, big mint seats in your first class, 
your your unit costs are going to be high. You know, that's that's kind of the nature of the beast. And that's been an issue for them too, you know, being cost competitive. Now they have, you know, a new expensive new pilot contract. I mean, everybody does pretty much nowadays, but uh, in the U.S., so I, I wouldn't say that's unique to them. But uh, but costs are a concern. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they are very transcon exposed. Transcon being, can be a great market at certain times, and at certain times it can be a very, very difficult market. It's a lot of ASM capacity because they're very long stage lengths. Um, and then, yeah, you're just very exposed to Florida and the Caribbean, which Delta informed us when they did their Q4 earnings last week that Florida and the Caribbean, or at least I think they were talking specifically about the Caribbean, but they said um, that those markets are very tough. They're very oversupply right now. Uh, so, you know, you have a combination of, you know, market factors, structural factors that make things difficult for JetBlue going forward. Um, now, you know, I want to be very clear that up until, you know, they're losing money now. Um, by the way, they did have an excellent second quarter. They, um, I say excellent, I mean, it wasn't gangbusters, but they made a solid profit in the second quarter, lost money in the first quarter, lost money in the third quarter. Um, they were profitable in 2019. They were the second to least profitable U.S. airline behind. Only American was worse. So, uh, but they did. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all relative. But they at least, you know, they at least were making money pre-pandemic and they at least showed in the second quarter they could at least make some money. So, so there's that to ride on. I mean, there's, you know, uh, there, are, there are strengths there. But I think I've, you know, well, I'll lay this out more in detail in, in the article that we'll publish on Monday. But, uh, but that's a little bit of, you know, what what JetBlue faces. Fantastic stuff. Appreciate your insights as always, Jay. Uh, this time from the the front of the mic, as opposed to as a as a listener. Uh, thanks again for your time. Uh, that's all we've got time for on the airline weekly lounge uh, this week. Don't forget, you can always contact us via email. My new email address is gs, that's G for Gordon, S for Smith, at skift.com. And Jay, as always, can be uh, reached at js, that's uh, J for Jay, and S for Shabbat, at skift.com. Uh, many thanks to Jay for taking me under uh, his wing this week. Uh, you'll be joining us next time, I'm sure. I will, yeah. Thanks, Gordon. It's uh, been, been a fun first conversation and look forward to many more. And yeah, we'll have to we'll have to drag Ned, Ned back here. Uh, one of these oh, days. he'll be. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. Uh, Ned, if you are listening, we'll try and get you back very, very soon. Thanks again uh, for listening wherever you are, whatever you're up to, and uh, we'll join you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.